Testing. Kelly's got a nice butt. Welcome, welcome to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And my name is Austin. And we're so I'm your co-host. So last week we blew your minds again, and I'm so that was this week. You guys, I mean, yeah, it was Monday, wasn't it? Last episode, but that was wild. I cannot even tell you how grateful I am for those of you who shared the story on your Instagram stories. It was like people were sharing it left and right. That blew me away. If you're a new listener, or if you haven't listened, go back and listen to the last episode. Oh, they're crazy. The stage five clinger episode. Mm-hmm. We all know one, but this one takes it to new horizons, Wild. new limits. Wild madness. It was pretty crazy. Um, so we are recording this on Wednesday night. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and post it to our Patreon tonight. So if you are one of our Patreon members, you will get early access. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon member, we have levels as low as like five bucks a month. It's a cup of coffee every month. A cup of coffee every hour. That's an Not office at all. Joke. No, it's a cup of coffee about once a month. That's yeah. the value of it. That was an office joke. But you wouldn't know because you don't watch The Office. Right. But anyway, <clears throat> five bucks a month gets you early access to all the episodes, um, script access, and you get cool stickers and a thank you note from me. So if you're interested, that's on our bio on Instagram. We appreciate it. You ready? Let's get into the show. All right. Today, we are talking about the Becky Watts case. This case was recommended to me by one of our listeners, but for some reason, I could not find the message from who sent it. So whoever you are, you know who you are. I'm sorry. I wasn't able to shout you out. But um, Rebecca Marie Watts was born on June 3rd, 1998. She is from the UK and was born and raised in Bristol, Becky was raised by her dad and stepmother, Angie Galsworthy. Her biological mom, Tanya, lost custody of Becky when she was super little due to financial issues and concerns from social, social services. So her stepmother, Angie, was really like a mother to her. Becky had an older brother named Daniel, who was two, year, two years older than her. Daniel lived in the home until he was a bit older and decided to go live with their mom, Tanya. Becky also had a stepbrother, Nathan. His name is Nathan Matthews. Nathan was Angie's son from a previous marriage, and he was about 10 years older than Becky. So Nathan, however, was raised by his grandmother. And even when he came, um, even, even when there came, excuse me, a time when he could return to live with his mom, Angie, he ultimately decided to stay with his grandparents because he already had established a life there, friends, his school, everything was there. So he would visit his mom, Angie, and his step-siblings on the weekends. Becky adored her older brother, Nathan, from a very young age, and apparently her first word was Nathan. She loved following him around, watching him play video games, and at first, Nathan, being 10 years older, wasn't as interested in his little sister tagging along all the time, and he also didn't love the idea of now having to share his mom with this new kid that he was unfamiliar with. Um, When Becky got into school, she was viciously bullied by other students. She was bullied for her looks, but she was actually a really beautiful girl. So I believe the bullying probably stemmed from jealousy, honestly. I guess it where the story's going, and I don't like it. Go ahead and tell me what you think so far. There's gonna he's gonna he's gonna abuse her, sexually abuse her, and stuff. Interesting. It's interesting that that you think that. Yeah. Okay. Um. So. 
She said that kids would make fun of her weight, and even though she was a very healthy girl, she took this to heart and begged her parents to help her lose weight. So they started bringing home healthier foods for Becky to eat, but they soon noticed that Becky was dropping weight super fast, and they found that she was hoarding her food and throwing it away and not actually eating. Ugh. It eventually got to a point where Darren and Angie decided to take her to a doctor because she was just wasting away. And that's when she was diagnosed at 12 years old with anorexia. They did their best to help her, but they could only do so much. There were many days when Becky was so ill from not eating that she would be too dizzy and too weak to go to school. And she eventually became truant, which brought on legal troubles as well. The bullying at school continued and even started happening at home by her older brother, Nathan. Even though she was incredibly thin, he would call her fat and tell her that she needed to lose weight. So he would just like antagonize her. What the heck? And I want to remind you, Nathan is 10 years older than Becky. So when Becky was battling anorexia at the age of 12, she's getting bullied by her 22-year-old brother. What in the world? That makes no sense to me. All right, well, I take back what I thought was going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. So the following year, Becky was beginning to get better, and she was putting on some healthy weight. She seemed happier, even though she still struggled, because anorexia is such a complex psychological disorder that it's, it's incredibly difficult to ever be fully healed from it. Um, but there Any were... kind of body dysmorphia is like such a dangerous, uh, self-deprecating disease. Yeah. I, I don't mean... know if disease is the right word, but... I think it's probably appropriate. Yeah, because it's, so, it's, it's, it's a really mental illness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, there were times that she struggled with anxiety and depression, but overall she seemed to be doing better. By age <clears throat> 15, her mother, um, her stepmother, excuse me, Angie, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and this was a huge blow to the family because MS, I'm sure many of you know, is just a heartbreaking disease. So things at home became a little more tense dealing with Angie's disease and Becky coming into her teenage years. So Becky and her father, Darren, were really close, but they would have their occasional fights, fights that you would honestly expect with having a teenage daughter. But one of those fights escalated to a point where she, where he told her she needed to leave and Becky stayed with a friend for a few days. Becky didn't really have a lot of friends, but... She did have a few really close ones. Becky at home was a very outgoing girl, and she was confident at home, like around people she was super comfortable with. But the second she stepped outside, she was much more timid and anxious. So it doesn't really surprise me that she kept only a few select people close to her. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people are like that. like Right, small circle. Yeah, they either keep it small or they just have a ton of friends. It's like social butterfly or introvert. Yeah, yep. yeah. And she was probably more of an introvert. So on Tuesday, February 17th of 2015, Becky left home to go stay with a friend, and on the following day, she ended up staying the night with a friend again. Thursday, February 19th, 2015, Becky was due to return home, but when she didn't come home, her stepmother Angie figured she was just staying another night with her friend. But that day, she wasn't interacting with those friends. And Becky, who normally was active on social media, went really quiet. At first, her friends just thought maybe her phone died or she was just taking a break from social media, as many people do and should do. So here you have just the ultimate miscommunication. 
because Becky's friends think that she's at home while her family at home thinks she's with her friends. And nobody really knows where Becky is or where she's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous place to be. Side note, this is a total off-track comment. But I remember one time, and this is probably a kind of a funny story. I hope it's funny. But I was 16 or probably 15 or 16, and I was in high school, and my friend and I decided to tell each other's parents that we were staying at the other person's house so that we could go out to a club called Orlando's, (laughs) which is in Kansas City. This is going to date, like, this is really going to age me, but... It was one of those clubs where teenagers could get in, and they would just, like, put a big X if you're not 21. Mm -hmm. So my mom, though, was wiser than I thought because she figured it out. And while I was dancing in the club, they came over the microphone and said, "Uh, Kelly Dahl, your mom is in the parking lot. (laughs) And I was like, oh, no. That's awesome. I go to the parking lot, and she is right there in front. She's got our freaking pug Jasmine on her lap, and she's sitting in the front front seat staring at me there's this line of people waiting to get in and i have to do this like walk of shame to my mom's car that's hilarious which if you know kelly kelly's not like a club girl no i'm not a party girl at it's all probably the i'm pretty lame she actually. ever went out but anyway it's so when i read that part i was like you know it almost seems like one of those situations where maybe if she wanted to go hide or if she wanted to you know, do something she wasn't supposed to be doing. She would tell her friends she was somewhere and her family she was somewhere so that they would all just not assume anything. Right. You know? Interesting. So anyway, Angie tried calling Becky, but she didn't answer. And at first she was too concerned and, uh, or I'm sorry, she wasn't too concerned and she figured she might just be busy. But the next day, Friday, February 20th, Nobody had seen or heard from Becky in over 24 hours, and it got her parents pretty worked up. Becky's friends actually showed up at her house looking for Becky, and Angie, who thought all along that she was with her friends the whole time, became really confused and panicked. So she... Go ahead. As as I think about that, I think 24 hours is a long time to not hear from somebody. Yeah. Like I just... In my head, I was imagining like if I didn't hear from you for 24 hours, I would be like... Yeah. What the heck is going on? Like, I don't even think I'd make it 24 hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and this is your kid. And granted, like, teenage years, there's angst and, you know, you know, kids are wanting yeah, to be, like, independent. Hours. They think they're adults. But that's still a long time, though, to go with absolutely no contact. If, yeah, especially if you're like, hey, what's going on? Call me. Text me back. Or, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, especially also to ignore your friends. Like, I can see more you ignoring your parents than you would your friends. Right. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So um, Angie immediately calls Darren and fills him in on what's going on. And Darren leaves work to come home. And they sent their friends up to her room to see if they could find anything out of the ordinary. Because her friends, after all, would know best since she spent such intimate time with them. So they go into her room and realize that her phone, her tablet, and her laptop are all gone. Indicating that Becky took these items with her wherever she went. But... Her makeup was still there, and a lot of her clothes were still there. She even still had money there. So this was really alarming. Mm -hmm. At 4 p.m. that day, they call the police to report Becky missing. And at this point, Becky has been missing for 48 hours. So nobody has actually seen or heard from her in 48 hours. But they didn't realize that until now, which is super unfortunate, because this ultimately means that the chances of finding her alive are super slim at this point. So police arrived at the Galsworthy home two hours after that emergency call was made. 
When they arrive, they're interviewing Becky's friends and family, and that's when Nathan's girlfriend, Shauna, says that she was actually home the previous morning, so Thursday morning. Shauna said that she never actually saw Becky that morning, but she just could have sworn Becky was at the house with her that morning. She said that she thought she heard Becky upstairs and that she heard stomping down the steps leading to the front door and then the front door slamming. And she just assumed that was Becky leaving. At the time, Nathan and Shauna lived in their own house about a mile away from Darren and Angie's, but it wasn't uncommon for them to come spend time there as well. So police assume that there's a chance this could be a kidnapping, but there's also a chance that she could be a runaway. So just like we saw in the Kara Kapetsky case in episode 23, sometimes these missing persons cases aren't taken seriously in the beginning. Was that the one where the girl left the club real late and her and boyfriend were in a fight? And it was like 3 in the morning and she, then she, last she was seen, she was walking down that road on camera? No, that was the disappearance of Lauren Spear, um, which is another episode. I'm talking about the one with Kara Kapetsky from Belton just down south, and she disappeared right after she left school, and her boyfriend... She had, yes. yes. Okay, got it, got it, got it. That was a good episode, too. That's episode 27? 23. 23. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, sometimes these missing person cases aren't taken seriously in the beginning because they're just brushed off as these unruly teenagers, and then that precious time goes by without any authority really taking it seriously. But Becky's family knew better. They knew that this was unlike Becky. They knew that she struggled with anxiety and would never just leave without telling anyone. So her family and friends launched an online campaign with the hashtag FindBecky to try to get the word out. And this campaign reached more than 2 million people worldwide. Holy smokes. So her parents did multiple press conferences and treated the situation as either a runaway or a kidnapping. They appealed to both Becky and her potential kidnapper in hopes that she may see it and return. The search for Becky was super extensive. They searched nature reserves, open bodies of water, wooded areas, park areas, and even house-to-house inquiries. Hundreds and thousands of people assisted in the search, but ultimately nothing turned up. None of the neighbors recalled seeing Becky go in or out of the house. She wasn't seen on any type of surveillance footage anywhere. It was like she just completely vanished. The police are left with little to go off of, so they turn back to the friends and family of Becky. Sometimes in these cases, the initial people of interest are the people closest to the victim, so they start going back over everyone's stories. Becky's friends confirmed that she spent the night with them on Wednesday night and then left Thursday morning to go back home. Nathan's girlfriend, Shauna, was at the, ha- at the house that day and remembered hearing footsteps coming down the stairs and then hearing the front door close. So on February 26th, police moved Becky's parents out of the house so that they can bring in forensic analysts. So investigators end up finding blood on the doorframe to Becky's bedroom and also on the doorframe were fingerprints that they took to analyze. While detectives are questioning the family, they get everyone into their own separate areas. And when they questioned Nathan and Shauna the first time, they came off as really nervous. And I can imagine that there is, you know, this missing person and you're getting questioned in regards to a disappearance. It can be pretty nerve-wracking, even if you didn't do anything. But because of that interaction, they decided to bring Nathan back in for a second round of questioning. And that's when he starts making some really alarming comments. 
He says, quote, I don't particularly talk to her, but obviously I don't particularly like her. And obviously what annoys me is the way she speaks to my mom sometimes. She'll be like kind of rude or whatever. Yeah, it's pretty kind of aggressive language to be saying about someone who's missing. Yeah. Like the wrong time to be addressing that. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, this is super alarming and concerning, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he did something. And honestly, I think you'd have to be a complete moron to like harm somebody and then tell the cops you didn't really like that person if you're trying to maintain your innocence or like get away with A lot of these criminals something. are morons though. Exactly. I was just going to say that, but <laughs> I mean, a lot of, a lot of these guys are idiots. Not just guys. No, I'm saying guys like, hey, you guys. <laughs> I'm saying guys is in, hey, guys. Hey, males. No, yeah, <laughs> I get you. So um, when the results come back from the lab, it was found that the fingerprints on Becky's door frame belonged to Nathan. And the blood on the door frame belonged to Becky. So with Nathan's th- painted into a corner right now that he can't get out of. Nathan's looking a little sus. So while they're in jail... Um, well, actually, let me back up. Whoa, I was like, whoa, we're, we're in jail now? Yeah. <laughs> I meant, like, you know, that's where they're, uh, you know, questioning him. Okay. But anyway, so with this, the cops go ahead and they arrest Nathan right there on the spot and his girlfriend, Shauna, under the suspicion of kidnapping. Because at this point, the amount of blood found was pretty small, not indicating enough blood loss to result in loss of life. So while they're in jail... They're questioning Shauna, and she swears up and down that she had nothing to do with Becky's disappearance and that she couldn't think of any details that might lead them to an answer or to Becky's whereabouts. But during her answers, she's smiling a lot, and her demeanor is just a little too nonchalant for someone who has just been arrested for kidnapping. Again, not real appropriate, She's, like, smiling, and she's just kind of like... I don't know. Uh, let me think. I mean, it's just weird. You can go on YouTube and, and watch the interviews. They're just bizarre. But yeah, it almost seems like this whole thing is just a game to her. She's just not taking it seriously. Nathan, however, when he is questioned, um, he's a bit more defensive and hostile with his answers. But while he's being questioned, he had no idea that investigators were in his house searching for evidence. The house looks like something out of hoarders. There is just crap piled up almost to the ceilings with narrow little pathways leading from one room to the next. And again, you can find these videos on YouTube as well, but if you just watch A&E's hoarders, you get the idea. It's literally that bad? It's really, really bad. The kitchen counters, they weren't even visible because crap just piled up on top of the counters. Like, the place was just a complete nightmare. It's such a miserable way to live. Like, yeah. cluttered life like that, your life's going to suck. Yeah, it was That's really rough. bad. So once they made their way upstairs, they were looking around and they were surprised to find an upstairs bathroom because it was completely blocked by furniture and clutter. They almost didn't even see the door leading to the bathroom. Like that's how bad it was. But once they opened the door to the bathroom, they look She's in there. They look over and see that out of all the mess and all the clutter, their bathtub is sparkly clean. Oh, my gosh. This whole dirty house and the bathtub's clean. This ain't good. So in the video, it's actually quite shocking to see such a mess of an area and then literally this bright white bathtub and shower. Like, it is, it looks brand new. It's not just clean. It looks brand new. So 
they noticed then that in one of the drawers of the bathroom, there were two receipts from a hardware store called B&Q, which would be similar to like a Lowe's or Home Depot here in the U.S. These receipts were dated from the day Becky went missing, and they showed that someone had purchased a circular saw, goggles, gloves, and some face masks. This obviously leads to the worst assumption that Becky was taken and possibly even dismembered. So they go to that B&Q and they pull up the surveillance footage from that day and there is Nathan purchasing the equipment and supplies. Now the police believe this is way more than just a kidnapping and they re-arrest Shauna and Nathan now on charges of murder. At this point, Nathan had no idea that police had searched his house, so he had no idea why they were suspecting him of murder at this point, but police did tell Nathan that they were going to search his house in hopes that this would alarm Nathan and influence him to confess. Like, well, shit, I know they're going to find something, so let me just come out and say it. So Nathan goes and meets with his lawyer first, and when he comes back to speak with police, he doesn't actually speak with the cops. Instead, he wrote a letter and had his lawyer read it to the police for him. And right before he started reading it, he asked if he could put his fingers in his ears while the lawyer recited the letter. What in the world? So I saw the letter and I pulled out the most pertinent information and you can... Before you read it, sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the beginning you said Bristol and I didn't know, I assumed that's like Bristol. I thought there was a Bristol, Florida. So where is this happening at? The UK. Got it. I I missed that. Yeah, I said that in the beginning. Okay. I promise. My bad. (laughs) So this statement, why did that just come to your mind? Because a little bit ago you said something, I don't know. Oh, B&Q? Yeah, B&Q, like like in the U.S. And I was like, wait, I thought we were in Bristol. Where the heck's Bristol? Yeah, there's one over there in the U.K. Across the pond. Across the pond. That was awful. Anyway, so the letter read... I, Nathan Charles Matthews, accept that I am responsible for the death of Rebecca Watts. On Thursday, the 19th of February, part of the reason for going around was to return a tin to my grandmother. My grandmother was due to take my mother to a medical appointment and bring her back. In my car, I had a large bag, a stun gun, handcuffs, tape, and mask. I had developed an idea to scare Rebecca by kidnapping her. I wanted to kidnap her to teach her a lesson. I believe that she was selfish and her behavior towards my mother was a risk to her health. When we got to 18 Crown Hill, which is their address, obviously, we let ourselves in with the key my mother had left in the recycling box. Upon entering the property, we all went to the front room. A few minutes after arriving, Shauna said that she wanted to, she wanted a cigarette and went into the garden. I went to the boot of my car, I'm assuming that's your trunk, and took out a bag which contained the other items. I took everything upstairs to the landing. I think I then took the items out of the bag before knocking on Rebecca's door. She replied, what, or hello, and I said, can I see you a minute, or similar words. Rebecca then opened the door, I wearing a mask. I cannot be sure in which order things happened immediately after she came to the door, but I used the items I had to subdue Rebecca. During a short struggle, my mask slipped, and Rebecca was able to see my face. This caused me to panic, and I strangled her when she was partially in the bag. 
I collected the items I had used, put them and Rebecca into the bag, and zipped up the bag. I also took her phone, tablet, and laptop, together with shoes, some clothes, and a duvet cover from the spare room in a separate bag. I took everything downstairs and put it into the boot of my car. Back in the house, I waited to hear Shauna, then slammed the front door shut. Before going to the front room, I checked that Shauna was not in that room. He goes on to say later that day, after Shauna went to bed and sleep, I waited a while and went out to the car and brought the bags into the house. The following day, we went back to 18 Crown Hill and I tried to behave as normal. When we returned to 14 Cotton Mill Lane, which is his address, I again waited for Shauna to go to sleep. This time, I collected the bag with Rebecca's body and placed it in the bath. In order to stop Shauna from using the bathroom the following morning, I poured drain cleaner down the toilet so I could tell Shauna it was blocked again. The toilet would often get blocked, and when that happened, I knew Shauna would not go into the bathroom, and I also locked the door. Real quick, though, I'm sorry. That makes no sense. I poured drain cleaner down the toilet so I could say it was blocked. It reminds me of an episode of The Office when Dunder Mifflin is hosting this 5K and Dwight tries to sabotage Toby so that Michael can win. So he puts Imodium in Toby's drink and Michael's like, wait, did you use Imodium or Exlax? Sorry, that was my dog. You can hear her. And you just see like the light bulb go off. Like, why would you put drain cleaner to, to say it's clogged? It's random. Yeah, it makes no sense. Super Very backwards. Random. Yeah. Anyway. Sounds like a good episode of The Office. Yeah, I like every once in a while I go watching The Office. So anyway, he goes on to say, My memory of the days that followed is not perfect, so I'm not sure which day I returned to 14 Cotton Mill Lane, but when I did, I tried to dispose of the body by cutting it up with a circular saw. Oh my gosh. Initially, I wrapped up the body parts and took them back downstairs and hid them. I'm not sure how many days later, but on another day, I took the body, the saw, and the other items and placed them in a garden shed. I took them to this address with two other people. I did not tell them what was in the bags and box, and I said I would collect them in a few days. Both of these people are men, but I do not want to name them. I have chosen to give my account by means of a written statement because I believe I have mental health and learning difficulties that make it difficult for me to say it out loud. Also, I find it difficult to express the detail in this account in spoken words. I would like to add that my denials to date have been motivated in part by a wish to avoid the pain and disappointment these admissions would cause to my partner and family. This statement was written by my solicitor but has been read by me, and I can confirm that it is an accurate account. So police were able to go to that shed and find the bags that contained pieces of Becky's body. They brought her to the morgue and kind of pieced her back together so that her dad could identify her and say his goodbyes. And there's actually an interview where he describes kissing her on the forehead. And, I mean, this poor girl was decapitated. Like, I can't even imagine having to view your child in that kind of state. And not only that, but when he chopped her up, he chopped her up into eight pieces, and he... He put salt and cat litter in the bags with her to, like, absorb any liquid. Like, What a lunatic. I have no words. When I hear about these people cutting cutting people up, which is more frequent than I'm, I, I would appreciate, <laughs> which I wouldn't appreciate it at all, ever. Um, 
it blows my mind. And I picture like, like here's the, I think this is screwed up to say, but all you people listening are weirdos that love crime anyways. <laughs> so I'll just say it. You know, you picture in your head people cutting somebody up, mm-hmm. sawing somebody's body, the blood going everywhere, the hair getting caught in the blades, the skin tagging. The, like, imagine the process of cutting somebody's arm off. Like, I'm looking at my arm right now and imagining a saw going through my arm, through the bones. It'd probably be skipping around on the Like, it's just like a gruesome, horrible thing to picture. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I hear it, these stories always stick with me and I feel like they're going to stop sticking with me because it's so frequent, so freaking frequent, which is crazy, but it's just sickening to think about. Yeah. Like how far removed from reality do you have to be to do something like that? It's crazy. Yeah. And it is crazy how often it happens. Yeah. And it has to take a long time too. I mean, to clean up this type of mess. To clean it up, how loud it would be, how like... You're not getting interrupted. It's not like you're going to be cutting somebody up and then a kid's going to knock on the door or a friend and you're going to go, yeah, one sec, and open the door. Like, yeah. like you have to, like, it's just weird. Yeah. And you got to be seriously messed up in the head to do something like yeah, that. Yeah, devoid of any kind of conscience. Sheesh. So she sustained a lot of injuries before she finally died of suffocation. She had tons of bruising indicating that she put up a really good fight. She sustained 15 stab wounds after she was already dead. See, and people who stab people that many times, it's, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And her body, like I said, was cut up into eight pieces. So uh, anyway, even though we have a confession letter from Nathan, it doesn't mean that it was 100% honest. First of all, a lot of her injuries didn't line up with what he seemed to describe as like an accident. She had bruising and swelling to her face, indicating that he likely punched her multiple times in the face while he tried to subdue her. We're not surprised by that, are we? Not at all. And he seemed to be very adamant about Shauna having nothing to do with this, but I find that really hard to believe, and here's why. He alleged that Shauna went outside for a cigarette, but the amount of time it takes to go outside and smoke would certainly not be long enough for Nathan to subdue Becky, suffocate her, stuff her into a bag, and load her into the back of his car, all before Shauna ever notices anything. While she's out burning one down. Yeah. And then, how would he manage to bring her body into the house, all the way upstairs, and into the bathroom, dismember her body, and clean up the mess all without Shauna hearing anything or noticing anything out of order. I mean, their house is a disaster, but that would make a crime scene even harder to clean up because blood would be going everywhere and you've got to make sure you get it off of everything. And like I said, that bathtub was spick and span clean. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not buying it. Yeah. I guess it's tough to not know without knowing any background or character of her, but regardless, freaking weird. So Nathan and Shauna remained steadfast that Shauna had absolutely nothing to do with Becky's murder. Two whole months went by before they finally got a break in that, which would incriminate Shauna. Investigators went through Shauna and Nathan's phones and found deleted texts between the pair. It showed pornographic material that the couple both seemed to enjoy that involved girls right around Becky's age, around 15 or 16 years old. And it showed texts about fantasies that they shared of kidnapping young girls and bringing them back for sexual torture. Well, there's her character. And that's exactly what you said in the very beginning. Yeah. Remember, you were like, oh, I think I know what's going to happen here. And you, like, literally called it. Weird. Yeah. 
One of the texts from Nathan to Shauna read, bring me back two little schoolgirls." And Shauna replied, LOL, yeah, I'll just kidnap them from school. And in another text, she said, just saw a pretty petite girl, almost knocked her out to bring her home, LOL. To which he said, don't you almost me now, excuse my language, he said, now fucking do it, bitch, with four X's. So they probably really did this. There were tons of messages like this, but the common denominator was their mutual interest for young underage girls. Police were also able to find surveillance footage of Nathan and Shauna both shopping for cleaning products just days after Becky disappeared. And maybe this wouldn't be a red flag if their apartment wasn't such a disaster. I mean, these two do not clean. So, yeah, seeing them purchase bleach and cleaning products is a little sus. Right. But ultimately, what did Shauna in was when DNA tests came back confirming that they found Shauna's DNA on the inside of one of the masks that was hidden along with Becky's body in the shed, which means she helped him dismember her and helped him clean it up. Oh, my. The jury only took three and a half hours to find Nathan guilty of murder and Shauna guilty of manslaughter. Both were also convicted uh, of conspiracy to kidnap, perverting the course of justice, preventing the lawful burial of a body, and possession of two stun guns. Also, the couple who owned the shed, it was actually a man and a woman. It was like a man and his girlfriend. But they admitted that they helped Nathan bring the packages containing Becky's remains into the shed, but swore that they had no idea what was actually in the packages. But the pair was actually sentenced to 16 months and two years in prison. Nathan was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 13 years, and Shauna was sentenced to 17 years in prison. The judge concluded that he believed this entire ordeal was planned for sexual purpose, given their fixation with having sex with petite teenage girls. Agreed, and can see where that's from. Mm -hmm. And he believed Shauna was persuaded to participate And I want to add, Shauna started dating Nathan when she was only 14 years old. He tried to play off her age as being older, lying to his parents that she was actually 16. But Darren was super suspicious of her age and told him multiple times not to bring her to the house. But the reason I bring this up is because Nathan had this interest in these underage girls and even dated one himself, one who was so young and impressionable that maybe she really did find herself in this situation seven years into their relationship that she otherwise wouldn't have been a part of if she wasn't manipulated or taken advantage of by Nathan. So young. Dude's but a predator. For sure a predator. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that Shauna has no culpability here. I just wonder how differently her life would have turned out if she wasn't manipulated by a man that was so much older than her. I mean, right. he was... Um, 26 at the time that this happened and she would have been 20, 21, but they started dating when she was 14 and that's a really young age to be 14. That's crazy. Yeah. And he would try to lie and say that she was 16 because his dad was like, dude, she looks no older than 12. Yeah. So anyway, that's a doozy. That was a wild one. Yeah. UK um, people are crazy. No. I'm just kidding. USA people are crazy too, people. Oh my gosh. You know what? There's people, crazy people everywhere, people. They're everywhere. Mama. Well, wait. I'm just kidding. Too early. <laughs> too early. Hey, guys, share the heck out of it like you always do. Last episode, you shared the heck out of it. If you haven't listened to the last episode, go listen to it. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. And we will be back in a few days with another mind-blowing Mama Mystery episode. Mama Mystery out. Bye.
Oh, that was so annoying. Bye. Bye.